The Athletic. meteor that flashed across the southern Irish sky last night, <laughs> I thought was one of his crosses. Bon dia! Hello everybody and welcome once again to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and I'm joined by Charlie Eccleshare and I have to say rather sadly, um, one last time for a little while as he's got a new baby coming, which is just wonderful. Um, and standing in for him on the Spurs beat for a little while, a few months, it's Tim Spears. Hi, Tim. Hey, guys. How you doing? Uh, very good indeed. And welcome aboard. And hi, Charlie. Welcome aboard as well. We need to start with uh, the Champions League. I'll start with a glimmer of good news. Um, I watched the, the the fate of um, the Spurs loanees. Not the, not the kids are out on loan, but the ones who uh, have got long, expensive contracts with Spurs with great interest. One, you hope that perhaps one of them will play themselves back into form. Or two, that they'll do something good and increase their their sell-on value. So um, not only did Tanke and Domblay get on the pitch for Napoli the other night against Rangers, he scored a late goal. So I took that as another two million on his eventual value when Spurs move him on. Is this, is this too cynical of you, Charlie? Well, that's, of course, how it worked out with Lo Celso, who fired Villarreal to the semi-finals of the Champions League. And we waited eagerly. Was it going to be 20 million? Was it going to be 25 million? Was it going to be 30? No, it's just another loan. So, uh, yeah. yeah, that may be optimistic. But no, it's definitely not a cynical view. No, I think it's optimistic because I don't think, um, with the exception of occasionally occasional mad transfers like De Ligt's fee to uh, Bayern Munich, I don't think the, the continental clubs have got two beans to rub no. together, if that's even a phrase. Um, later on in the in the podcast, we'll be telling Tim, who is not steeped in Spurs. He's a brilliant reporter, a brilliant an- analyst of football. Um, but let's have it out. He's a Wolverhampton Wanderers supporter. You can probably tell from that lovely black country accent. We'll be telling him what it means to support Spurs and the things he should be looking out for. I can't tell you how disappointed I was in the response to this on my Twitter line, mostly once again referring to who would or would not um, have conjugal rights with me. <laughs> um, and, uh, uh, let's talk about I mean, I mean, all of this, of course, uh, Tim and Charlie, is just avoiding the subject of the defeat in Lisbon. You were there, Tim. Um, what were your first impressions of Euro Spurs um, and the game itself? Uh, well, basically, Danny, I've been having covered Wolves for the past seven years and kind of grown grown tired of watching, you know, a team playing 3-4-3 three, three and, and counter-attack and not really wanting possession and, you know, playing fairly pedestrian football. I was I was really looking forward to watching Antonio Conte's dynamic Spurs team in, in action. Um and basically got more, more of the same really. Yeah, it was it was it was quite an insipid performance, quite quite disappointing. There was a big game atmosphere and Lots of pre-match talk from both managers. You know, important game, quite an even group. And yeah, Spurs. I've I've only, I've seen them two or three times this season. But again, as against Wolves earlier in the in the season, first half just didn't turn up, and then start the second half really lifted the tempo, uh, created a few chances, and then that was it really. And I thought Sporting were, were good value for the win. Um, I was just more disappointed in. The sort of lack of flow and momentum generated by the attack, um, lack of subs, and it was just it was just all a bit flat. Really, it's very disappointing. Well, Charlie, um, there is a spectrum of how you might respond to this game, and I would suspect, and you, I hope I'm wrong, because um, I, w- I want you to agree with me. Hmm. I suspect we'll be at either end of this spectrum. You can either go 
what I might call the Kelly thing and say, well, there you go. This has been coming. I haven't seen them play any decent football except for 25 minutes against Southampton all season. And sooner or later, um, you're going to get caught up playing like that. Or you might go to the Eccleshare extreme. Hang on. They're equal second in the Premier League. They're averaging more than two points a game. Give it a chance. Well, I think it, I, I think as an individual game, to be honest to me, it was a 50-50 game. It could have gone either way. Spurs had the certainly the better chance at the start of the second half. And I didn't think Sporting were, were brilliant. I thought it was a game Tottenham no. could have won. But viewed in the context of the whole season, they absolutely had this coming. That you, you can't if every game's an arm wrestle, which it pretty much has been you're going to you're going to come out the wrong side of them eventually and so th- this this result would have surprised absolutely no one who's watched spurs regularly this season you you just can't keep um having the these types of really close could go either way games because you're not going to win all of them and so th- this was inevitable at some point even if in isolation it wasn't a disastrous performance i don't think well away from his public anger about do you think antonio conte was surprised I mean, maybe he'd have been surprised that they had a week off, which, you know, he obsesses over as much as we do. Um, and I certainly thought that was going to be a benefit. You know, they didn't have, they, they were coming at this game. I mean, if you think, <laughs> we, we anticipated they'd be coming into this game off the back of City away only three days earlier. I mean, God knows what they would have looked like if they had had that to contend with as well. Instead, they didn't. They had the week off. Well, they would have had the boost of a victory in Manchester, wouldn't they? Well, that's true, yeah. Son would have been coming into the game on the back of a hat-trick, etc., etc. Yeah. I think he was was very let down, felt very let down by how the team played. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this are saying, well, why was he surprised? This is how they've played all season. Um, But I think there were some disappointing elements to that. I mean, we've talked about the midfield many times, and I've made the point that you know, what they lose in midfield, they benefit often defensively because they, whether you like it or not, whether you think they're a good watch or not, they don't concede many goals. That is why they are on almost their longest unbeaten run ever in Premier League history because they're tough to break down. I had a tweet ready at nil-nil when I thought it was going to finish nil-nil saying, again, it's not a terrible result, but then they're really not great to watch and there's no getting away from it. And and, and if you think back to the the back end of last season when they finished the season so strongly and so thrillingly I mean you remember that double header where they put five past Newcastle four past Villa having put three behind three past West Ham the week the game before Newcastle and it just looked like they cracked it they they were so dangerous going forward um and even if the results have been good which they have been in the Premier League we can't deny that they're third they're a point of top uh I don't think anyone would suggest they've been particularly exciting to watch Okay, well, if this sounds like a rather gloomy start to the podcast, and I make no apologies for that, autumn is coming and all those sorts of things, um, I think we can really add to that now because James Moore, the traditionally (laughs) most pessimistic of the people on the view from the lane, was uh, at the game. He's in Portugal on holiday and taking the game, of course, as a committed Spurs fan. Um, In the dripping rain of uh, Lisbon, we asked him to comment on what he'd just seen directly after the game um, beware, there is very little thigh slapping in this, but this is what James had to say. Hola, I'm coming to you live. Well, not strictly live because the podcast says pre-recorded, but I'm coming to you from the Estadio Jose Alvalade, where Spurs have just come to an incredibly annoying 2-0 defeat to Sporting uh, Club de Portugal. Not Sporting Lisbon, 
Sporting Club to Portugal. It probably won't surprise too many listeners to hear me say that I was incredibly frustrated with Emerson Royale's performance. Um, if I'd been there with you guys to discuss it, I- I'm sure, uh, well, if Charlie had been around, I'm sure he would have disagreed and he would have been very positive about it. But for me, he really was once again exposed for not being able to deliver across when it was needed. And there were two or three moments in that second half where had a couple of good little interchanges of passes with Kulosevsky when he came on and got into a good position to whip the ball in. And, I mean, then there's one he really floated to the back stick in a way that no one could really attack it. Yeah, it'd be unfair to pin it all on him, but he did kind of pull out of a challenge high up the pitch in the build-up to the first goal, or in the build-up for the set-piece for the first goal, I should say. Uh, and obviously was kind of all over the place a little bit for the second goal. Not that really counts for too much, you wouldn't imagine. Bit of a strange atmosphere in the grounds. The weather here, as I'm sure Tim will have mentioned, the weather here has been incredibly bad in the last few days. So I think uh, people were just happy to be dry and undercover. It wasn't a raucous atmosphere. I think people were getting a little bit um, frustrated with the way the team were playing. They had a couple of good spells, I think particularly when Kulazewski came on in the second half. Son again after his better performance uh, against Marseille last week I thought was not particularly great to be perfectly honest I think I, I think there's a there's an issue there I, I think um, well it's an issue that's easily resolvable for me because I think we've just got to start Kulizevki uh, Richarlison and Kane in the next game it seems pretty obvious to me but anyway I won't let this ruin my holiday uh, and I hope everyone has a great podcast and I'll be back to moan about different stuff next week bye You can't imagine James returning from Iberia with a kiss me quick hat and one of those straw donkeys under his arm or be a straw cockerel if he's coming back from Portugal. Um, one thing he said there that I, I wanted to pick up with you was there, Tim. We'll get back onto the game in a second. Um, he thought there was a lack of atmosphere among the Spurs fans. And I know when we spoke yesterday that you felt the same thing. It was just something I, I noticed. My, my only reference point is having covered Wolves in the Europa League a couple of years ago when... It was obviously very new and exciting for Wolves, and it was a it was a party every 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 away trip, and the atmosphere they generated was sort of you know very boisterous and non-stop, win lose or draw, whatever the country, and yeah, I, it was just very noticeable sort of how subdued it was in the away end, um, particularly in the first half. It kind of took that that offside goal from Richarlison to sort of wake them up because the Sporting fans had a bit of a pop at them, and then there was a bit of back and forth, but. Other than that, yeah, they they they, they were quite subdued. Um, I mean, there wasn't much from the team to to get them going. But <laughs> I can't speak on their behalf. But yeah, g- g- given the weather, given the result, I'm not sure they would have had the best uh, European away trip, unfortunately. James might have been the median sort of mood after the game there, which is unusual. Uh, well, well we 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 actually um, I, I met Mister Moore the night before for a few. Uh, I was going to say beers, but actually he was he was quite surprised by my choice of red wine but but we we did we did, did did share a bottle of Malbec in, in a little pizza restaurant the night before mostly Spurs chat obviously in fact it descended into his regaling of is it eight FA Cup semi-final defeats since 1991 um, we're really on a fantastic like that, yeah I know pretty much now off off by heart so yeah there's there's quite, <laughs> quite a lot of quite a lot of Spurs moaning from, from James just in that 24-hour period which which I gather is is, is basically him all over well, you've got plenty more of that to look forward to. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 that's all coming your way. Listen, um, Kulisewski came on. 
Um, and you know that we are going to be previewing the Leicester game very soon. Um, Tim, you'll, 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 you'll get into this argument about the Spurs four forwards and three places uh, very, very soon. But Charlie, it's your last chance to say this for a few months. What's he going to do about Kulusevsky, who, uh, you know, Son is apparently undroppable. Kane has to play. Um, Richarlison has shown in flashes different things that Spurs definitely need. What's he going to do about Kulusevsky? Yeah, well, Tim wrote about this on after the game that, you know, after that uh, substitute appearance and obviously his body of work since he joined in January, Kudosevsky needs to start against Leicester. And I wrote a piece today with um, our, one of our data analysts, Mark Carey, looking at the numbers around Son. And, and I watched some clips of him trying to get a sense of how off his game he is. I mean, sorry, just before we get on to Kudosevsky, I mean, Son... His numbers, his underlying numbers, actually are not dissimilar from where they normally are. He he just o- normally overperforms things like expected goals to an extraordinary degree. We've kind he's of a got great used finisher to that. when he's on his well, game, isn't he? Exactly. He's such a good elite finisher that over the last two seasons, he's scored fourteen more goals than the expected goals model would have him at. That is far and away the most of anyone in the Premier League. Um, on Kudusevsky, I th- I think it's um, it's getting to the point where. Clearly, I mean, Kulusevsky's been on the bench for three games now, and I think he 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 has to start that game. I I don't think anyone really disagrees with that. I think you know Conte always said, and obviously the City game was called off, so maybe you could argue this changes. But he said everyone was going to have to be rested in this mad run that Spurs have been on. Uh, Son and Kane haven't been up till now, but if. I don't know. It's getting to the point where it just sends out a bit of a strange message. I don't think it sends out the right message um, because it has to be a meritocracy. And I think, yes, there's a waiting for Son to play himself into form. Yes, mm-hmm. there's a, he was the Premier League golden boot winner last season and has been unbelievably good for Spurs over a long period of time. But I think you need to think about what's going to, both the meritocratic element, but also what's going what's most likely to win Spurs their next game. And I think it's hard to make the case uh, that they won't have a better chance with Kudusevsky starting that game. Tim, I don't know how regular a listener you you have been to the view from the lane before you oh, got very. the got the hugely celebrated call up to to the colours. Um, uh, but uh, as you'll probably know, one of the main things, not me, the other three, uh, that this that the, by the pod even exists, is for them to get validation. They say something and then they get proved right, and then they, they repeat it on here and say, "I was right all along, wasn't I?" Um, and we all have to sort of do mental applause, as do the trillions of listeners. Did Charlie the... say Spurs were going to finish fourth last season after they lost to Burnley? Am I am I right? It's, it's, oh, it's weird. I've never I've never mentioned that since. Yeah, but it's funny you bring that. And I think I think I someone might, told me that. I heard it somewhere. Yeah, and I may have been on the phone um, to the health authorities demanding people with nets come and take him away. <laughs> so, uh, but uh, here's a chance for you: a to make yourself unpopular with at least one third of the of the of the listeners and downloaders and Spurs fans. Um, Leicester coming up. Who would you pick as a front three, Tim? Given the lack of creativity the other night, I think Kulisevsky ha- has to play. He, he he he's such a creative force, and and he gave them a, gave them a lift when he came on briefly against Sporting in the week. Um, I mean, That's if, one. If 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 you took him, uh, people are just going to say, "Oh, you you you're a, you're a Wolves fan and former Wolves reporter team." Of course, you're going to say Matt Doherty should be in the team, but when you're talking about end product and you're talking about a front five as 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 it is with the ball in the final third with the two wing backs, then Emerson mm-hmm. Royale's end product it just just isn't there I mean that 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 header that he had right at the start of the second half from from Kane's excellent cross 
I've seen Matt Doherty time and again come in at the back post and stick a header in the net. I mean, he had 30 goals and assists in two seasons. This is, this at, is at some excellent water treading. Who would your front three be against Leicester? Uh, the front three would be um, uh, the same as Charlie said, uh, Richarlison, Kane and Kulisevsky. I, th- I, th- I think it has to be. I mean, Son, Charlie mentioned XG, and I know it isn't the be-all and end-all, but Son, Son's XG in his two Champions League games is, is 0.07. I know diamonds aren't forever, but with 007 as his XG, then then Son is not going to last forever in the in the first eleven, is he? Am could right? you could you tell people hmm. who don't who don't speak XG, and there are many of them listening to this podcast, what what is zero zero seven? Is that good, bad, or indifferent? <laughs> it basically means he hasn't had a shot, or well, probably one very poor shot from long range. That 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 suggests to me he just wasn't getting in the. He just wasn't getting in the right positions the other night. Kane was often dropping deep, playing those nice little through balls to Richarlison, a couple of which were, you know, a tight offside call away from from maybe taking the lead in the first half. But Son just wasn't getting in those areas. He looks maybe leggy to me. I don't know if it's confidence, if it's if he's tired. That one shot he did have, Tim, led to led to boos from the fans against Marseille because he took it on. There were five players in front of him, and he sort of scuffed one wide. I mean, yeah, essentially, Danny means he has. The quality of his chances would suggest that the average player would have scored 0.07 of a goal across two matches. So, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, the Not Spurs great. fans got to be very careful here. You know, uh, to quote my old mum, um, eating bread is soon forgotten, isn't it? Um, he was magnificent last season. He's been magnificent for year after year after year. My, my concern about dropping him um, with just weeks to go to the World Cup is that he's the captain of, of South Korea and you just don't know how he, how he has... He's a human being. How he how he will or would react to that. Um, you know, Richarlison's got the same situation in reverse. He is desperate um, to play so that he can prove to... And I've got to be careful how I pronounce this first name. Tichi, um, the Brazilian manager, he, he can, he's the right person to start up front. I note that the Brazilian squad does not include Gabriel Jesus, um, who's been playing in and out of the team for the last three years. And Richarlison will probably start in their two friendly games in the lead-up to the World Cup as centre-forward. So he's desperate to be in the team for for you know the same reason, but in reverse, because he's not been starting. I want to draw a veil over that first half, I really, over that, for that game, because um, it, it, it is so much... It was so obvious to anybody with eyes in their head that this was coming to Spurs, in my opinion. And Antonio Conte is always being sold these days as a you know this this stubborn person. But if he if he if he's as good as his word and he hates losing, well then he's got uh, some things to think about now. I mean, how many games has, has Emerson now played successively? It's quite a lot, isn't it, Charlie? Yeah. He's established, isn't he? Oh, he's played every game going back to that one I mentioned against Newcastle. Um, at the start of April, 17 games in a row. It's incredible. I mean, that really is incredible. And also, J- James uh, had a little dig about me defending Royale to, to revisit the theme of claiming credit. I mean, I said after a few games, I said to Dan Kilpatrick, I was like, this guy does not, he can't, he doesn't beat the first man with every cross. Every cross is either getting cleared for a throw-in or maybe, maybe he'll win a corner. Obviously, then in the sporting game, he tried to overcompensate and floated one so far beyond the opportunity to being blocked that it also you know almost went out of the stadium that 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 meteor that flashed across the southern irish sky last (laughs) night i thought was one of his crosses um still still going the fact and you also got to be careful language here particularly now that we've got tim who i know is a statistical analyzer of the game if you hit the first man that's not a cross 
That's mm. just booting the ball at an opponent. You might as well do that when you get a free kick against you. They're not across until they arrive near one of your teammates or the, all, the, all the defenders. Well, it's quite funny you say that, Danny, because Opta, the, the, the statisticians, who obviously are all about precision, etc., they do have a metric called good crosses, which I always find really funny because that to me just sounds really vague and subjective. But yeah, I, and making make many... excuses for people who do bad crosses. <laughs> I don't know how many good crosses he'd have had. I mean, there was that game at Watford on New Year's Day where they basically just uh, funneled everything out towards him. Watford did deliberately yeah. saying, go on, cross it. And uh, it was it was quite painful to watch. He's athletic and he's enthusiastic and all those things. Um, and I'm not saying this because Tim is here. I wonder if Matt Doherty, and who knows what Jed Spence is as a footballer, unless you've watched the championship for a year, you don't know what he is as a footballer. But um, Doherty at least does that thing where he arrives in the... Um, coming off the off the right wing, which causes havoc to defenders, chaos as we tend to call it. The problem is that that's also an area that Kulusevski likes to occupy. Just wonder, you know, how they'll dovetail as well. The other option as well, though, is you could. I mean, Perisic is completely two footed. I've barely seen a player like it. I mean, obviously Son Heung Min maybe. Mm-hmm. So one option would be to move Perisic to the right, Sessegnon on the left. At least give that a go. I mean, maybe Perisic wouldn't be as effective there because I, I think he's been really, really good actually since coming in, but. You know, well, he, he seems like the kind of player who'd adapt pretty quickly. Well, he, he in, in contrast, I think it's fair to say, Tremis and Royal knows how to approach his, his immediate opposite number. And then he's brilliant at wrapping his foot around the ball and making the cross. There was one very poor example of it in the game. But um, he no, he, does he's it, great digging crosses out. He normally does it brilliantly. I suppose the other piece of good news to come out of the game is that Spurs still have a significant interest financially in Marcus Edwards. Um, they did not choose to cash in their 50% sell-on agreement when he moved from one Portuguese club to Sporting. Um, and so when he moves, uh, uh, judging by the performance the other night, um, to Barcelona for 100 million, Spurs are up to, are up to get, I think, about 40 million of that. Um, all, yeah, all young players that come through academies, Tim, are overrated by the home fans. We had um, astonishing expectations of, of Marcus Edwards. Um, perhaps fueled by Pochettino calling him the, uh, as good as Lionel Messi. Didn't quite say that, but yeah. No, what did he say? <laughs> Let's he, have it right. Well, he said the qualities. It's only body and the way that he plays. Remember a little bit from the beginning of Messi. Whatever he played, and thank you. That is right to get it exactly right. Um, Tim, he was um, technically the best player on the pitch, wasn't he? Yeah, I completely agree. And you know, you say Messi. That that first half run was was Messi esque, wasn't it? The the goal he, he almost scored mm. with from Hugo Lloris's excellent and slight, well slightly fortuitous save. Um, there were there were people on, on on their feet in the press box at the end of that. You know, supposedly neutral journalists. It was re- remarkable. Um, I, I I just I had a kind of a from a the Spurs from the Spurs fan view. Spurs media or sporting media. Uh, there was well. I, I don't know if he's Spurs media, but certainly, certainly an Eng- an English journalist who was there covering the game was was on his feet, um, <laughs> almost hailing a wonder goal. I won't embarrass him by, in fact, you know, I'm not even sure what his name is, but I, I know him by face. I'll describe him <laughs> to you after the podcast. So yeah, I had, I had like a, a sensible soccer type view right at the at the top of the stand, which was great for watching how Spurs' formation moves about the pitch um, and the movement of the front three and the and the. Solidity, the back three, back five, etc. But watching the spaces that Marcus Edwards picked up between defence and midfield, the way the way he just ran Eric Dyer again and again, 
so pacey, so direct. Um, teammates clearly trust him. It was everything was going through him. Um, I mean, it's a decent front three, you know, between myself and Charlie, we know them all pretty well. One former Spurs and, and, and two former Wolves. And um, they did post Spurs, you know, quite a lot of problems. And uh, yeah, Amarim, the, the sporting manager, did say before the, even before the game, you know, he, he could play for England. The, the, the trajectory that he's on. I don't think he was saying it anytime soon. He's saying, you know, he's, he's not been at sporting that long for a start. He's, he's still finding his way in the game. He's still finding his way in the country. He's taking a lot of time to adapt. He's a very from, quiet from, lad, from, isn't he, as well? From London to Lisbon. And yes, he said that. He still needs to come out of himself a little bit. Um, but I, I love the threat he was in, in central areas in particular. You know, you talk about England. I'm not sure we've got too many players who are very comfortable in, in his mould picking up the ball 50 yards from goal and running at defenders in those central areas. So if he continues with with this form, I'm sure Gareth Southgate will have a look. I mean, it's, it's not going to be in time for the World Cup, I don't think, but um, but certainly one for the future. And in the ever-present um, search for validation here on the podcast, you were warned on Monday, all listeners knew that Marcus Edwards would play as a false nine, be a foot shorter than everyone marking him, would come between the very carefully marshaled Spurs back three and the equally um, uh, unlikely to join a circus midfield too, um, and that he would cause confusion by doing exactly that. And so it turned out. Joe, it's quite funny here, just looking at these actual quotes from Pochettino. He then goes on to compare Edwards in the next breath to Eric Lamella. But obviously those quotes haven't haven't sort of stood the test of time in quite the same way. I mean, I think he could have literally said anything after those messy quotes and no one really would have Yes, he could have compared him to Doctor Who, couldn't he? But we still wouldn't have known anything about it. (laughs) Um, Incidentally, Eric's and uh, Marx's personalities appear, on the surface at least, to be very different things as well, don't they? And it was great. I saw Eric scoring a goal um, in Spain at the weekend. I can't can't not love him, can you? can I um, t- get permission from both of you now to put this horrible game to bed and in, in the interest of not driving the listeners away with our misery? That's yeah. fine, Dave. Yeah. Okay, we've got plenty, um, plenty of other things we want to talk about. When we come back after a quick break, we'll be giving Tim, who, as I say, is a football expert, but not, not absolutely basted in Spurs' history uh, and philosophies and all the rest of it. We're giving him an idiot's guide um, to what he can expect and what he should know about Spurs. Um, some of it provided by you, the listeners. Um, thank you very much indeed for that. Um, I want to talk about, to him a little bit about uh, Nuno, because, um, of course, we all laugh about him now behind our hands, whereas he, I suspect, as a Wolves fan, still has a very large picture of him on on his kitchen wall, which as he's as he making his tea in the morning, he kisses very tenderly. Um, and we'll talk about the Leicester game at the weekend. Well, no doubt see Spurs rising high up the table, possibly even to the top of it. You're listening to The View from the Lane with Charlie Eccleshare on his way out and Tim Spears on his way in. It's a sort of sliding doors moment for the podcast. I'm Adam Hurry, host of the Athletics Football Clichés podcast. Look, there are loads of podcasts out there talking about the actual football, but this is the only one that celebrates the language of the game and takes the deepest possible dive into all the tiny things in and around football that we have somehow taken for granted. Check out our back catalogue now, where you'll find interviews with Jamie Carragher, Kelly Cates, Neda Manua, Peter Drury, and many, many more. Search for Football Clichés on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places and listen ad-free on The Athletic. Yeah, welcome back to The View from the Lane. I'm Danny Kelly. With me today, Charlie Eccleshare 
I'm going to say this for the second last time, because no doubt I'll thank him at the end of the podcast, uh, on his way to a few months um, paternity leave as his wife's about to give birth to another baby. Good luck to all of the EchoShare family. And joining us um, for the next few months is Tim Spears, who covers both football tactics and football in general, and Wolverhampton Wanderers for the Athletic. He's now becoming the Spurs man. Um, and we were asking, wondering, what Tim, because you, you quite rightly admit, you know, it's, this, it's obvious. If I'd supported Wolves or, or Manchester City since I was a boy, I would know everything about them. Um, but I didn't. I, I happened to follow Spurs. Um, and you said we, we would talk about some of the things that you might want to know. One or two people who come on and said the main thing you need to know is that the, the Spurs players won't shag you. Um, this is a reference to um, somebody. I, I, I went to wish Harry Kane a happy birthday, but I re- restrained myself about eight weeks ago. Um, on the grounds that people would just write on Twitter, he won't shag you. I was really, I really took, I took umbrage about this, Tim, because how do they know who Harry Kane will and won't shag? And am I really that undesirable? In the flesh, I'm a rather attractive man, superbly well, upholstered, some would say. Um, and, and, and so, but, but beware, if you, as soon as you admit any admiration for a Spurs player, you will be told they will not seek union with you. So it's not just it's not just Harry Kane. It's 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 any it's any Spurs player. It's mostly Kane um, because that that's the one they seem to. It is Kane that they uh, they just seem to want to um, pretend that uh, he's completely off limits to people, lowly people like myself. Well, Tim could be in danger with Matt Doherty, given he yeah, sort of has yeah. history with him. Yeah. yeah, I think that's and indeed Nuno. It's funny when, we, when I, Tim starts saying that they should bring Nuno back, um, which inevitably <laughs> he will do. <laughs> Tim wants to know from you and I, Charlie, who uh, who Spurs' worst but most loved current player is. Current player? That's Yeah, this is a tricky one, isn't it? Because he's asking us to call out a current player. Worst but most loved. That's a tricky one. I'm trying to think of players who sort of get a pass. Um, actually, no, you know what? I'm going to change my answer. I think um, Davinson Sanchez, who I think has been on a bit of a journey still isn't great and has shaky moments but I think there's now a fondness for him there I think he's endeared himself to the fan base um, with years of sort of clearly trying his hardest I mean we, I mean the truth of the matter is I think Tim that um, it's a very difficult question to answer because um, players who are no good just don't get loved at Spurs they get moaned about um, and eventually shouted at I don't want to say booed because that's probably too strong they're they're, prob- they're probably more 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 um more common back in the sort of nineties and noughties where you, you know, the, the, well they were called cult players, weren't they? Sort of back in the day, very, very, very Wolf, Wolves had an awful lot, very very bad players. Sort of, Eric, Eric Eric Young was was one. He was awful right right at the end of his career, but 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 because he wore a headband, he was extremely yeah. extremely popular. Which opposition player Tim wants to know, Charlie? Uh, do Spurs fans dislike the most? Um, I can I'll start here. Um. In fact, none of them. Are, well, one of them is still. In fact, two of them are still playing. What I disliked most was during Arsenal's 22-year ascendancy over Spurs, where they finished ahead of Spurs every single year for for two decades. Um, there were several Arsenal players who could not help themselves in order to gain a few likes and a few thumbs up with the Arsenal fans, but were, were really rubbing it in. Um, now, since it's six years since that, that happened, no tottering is there, the rest of it, you don't hear a word from any of them. 
Um, the players I'm referring to, in ascending order of my dislike of them, is one, Cesc Fabregas, um, who cannot shut up about how Arsenal used to do well in the London in the, in the North London derby, um, and who, of course, is still under medical supervision for when, when his hand was amputated, um, uh, when, when a Spurs player stood on it. Two. Um, is, uh, I can't remember his first, what is Chesney's first name? Wojciech. Wojciech Chesney. Another one who cannot keep his trap shut um, when, whenever <laughs> Arsenal beats Spurs. But of course, now, of course, it's, oh, I play for Juventus, me. I don't have to comment on any of that. No, Wojciech, you're ha- it's perfect. It's a free world. You're allowed to say, aren't Spurs finishing high above Arsenal now in the league table? And finally, and of course, they can only be number one. One. Come on down, you flowerpot-hatted loon, Jack Wilshere, um, on the open bus singing uh, Spurs are shit with the Arsenal fans. And the fact of the matter is, Jack, it was you, wasn't it? You were no good. Flash in the pan, big mouth. Um, so those, Tim, are my three current um, well, players that I dislike the most. It's, it, it's, it's coming across loud and clear, not that I didn't know anyway, that Arsenal are the most sort of obviously hated of... Of rivals, but who who else who else comes close? I'm like Chelsea, West Ham, Man United. What's yeah. the sort of hatred pecking order below Arsenal? Chelsea and West Ham are up there. I mean, Arsenal Spurs hate each other, but there are a lot of examples like Danny mm. and a lot of people. I think I think there is underneath it all at least a sort of we're quite similar. We hate each other, but we sort of understand each other. I think Chelsea are more. We are so different from you. And I have to say, visiting Stamford Bridge <laughs> again recently, I was reminded of sort of that rivalry between the two fans. Um, and just that enmity really does exist. But yeah, the play, I mean, player wise, one exception on that, obviously, uh, player wise with the Arsenal thing is Sol Campbell. You want to be very careful, I think. Even, I mean, it, it was funny, we mentioned him on a pod months ago. And uh, there's that feet that sort of hush descends, and like oh, he who must not be named. Probably not even worth going there most of the time because he's uh, he's such a loathed figure. But um, yeah, I mean, current of the current players, can you think of any, Danny? I mean, I think uh, of, more, maybe it is more. Um, I mean, Bruno Fernandez is fairly universal, I guess. Yeah. But like, I remember when 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 United played. What's funny actually is Richarlison was loathed. Yes. Um, he used to really wind the Spurs fans up, like he does most opposition fans. And obviously now, now he's here. We. Oh yeah, he's him. grand now, isn't he? Just perfect. Um, I, I'll ask this one of you, Charlie, because it's been several years since I moved to the Republic of Ireland. Um, best spot for a post-match pint after a home game. Where should Tim go? Well. Unfortunately, Tim, like me, will probably mostly after a game be sat in the media cafe scribbling out um, some thoughts on the game. But for those who are, you know, l- lucky enough to go out and have a pint after, the Antwerp Arms is, is very popular, I know. All right, this this one you definitely can answer, Charlie. Um, what should Tim definitely not ask Conte right after a defeat? <laughs> well, what's funny about this one is that if he's really mad... Conte he will just say whatever he wants to say and you could ask him literally anything and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference you could say to him Antonio do you think Steve Bull is is underrated in, in all that he achieved in the game he wouldn't hear you and he would just go off on one there was this brilliant case after the Burnley game where Conte last had his probably his last real meltdown um Jack had um had this quite cerebral piece ready to go because Conte a few days before had talked about 
how Spurs hadn't counterattacked actually against City. And it was kind of this philosophical question, you know, do the team, you know, can, is what Spurs did against City counterattacking? And so, uh, and it'd become a bit of a talking point. And Jack had this sort of interesting piece in mind. And after the Burnley game, asked him about that, you know, do you think Spurs were counterattacking? How were they approach? How did they approach the game tonight? And he literally just went, oh, he's like, I don't care about that stuff. All I want to talk about is how bad we were. And, you know, it's awful. Da, 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 Tim da. is actually writing so, this uh, down as we speak. That's very, very good. <laughs> please, please, Tim, ask him about that. Uh, next time they lose a really important game, ask him about sort of a, a deep philosophical footballing question. See where he goes. With and that's, and that, that, that's yeah, when you fourth, put it, they're going to finish fourth as well, right? You, you were just sat there thinking, yeah, this is going to be fine. Yeah. Exactly, all 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 grist and your your, uh, your calmness yeah. in that race for fourth. I've tried to learn from that, Charlie. I'm not too old to learn life lessons, and your absolute calm and insistence that it was going to be okay, which was not a feeling I shared. I've tried to learn from that. Um, I think if Mrs. Kelly was here, she would tell you that I've tried to learn, but with no great success. Um, Jack Pitbrook, of course, a regular on this podcast and uh, the other person who, along with Tim, will follow Spurs for the rest of the season, has got four pieces of advice for you. Um, Tim, he says, you require an in-depth knowledge of the failed signings of the early Pochettino years, (laughs) strong opinions on the best, worst routes to and from White Hart Lane, (laughs) an extreme opinion on Hoiberg, either good or bad, but nowhere ever in the middle, and then right. tattoos denoting 26 wins, 86 points from the 2016-27 season. Uh, <laughs> other people who contribute to this debate, uh, Jimmy Dean Film asked on Twitter, said, all you need to know is the life and times of Eric Lamella. Stephen Walker said, it's the, it's the hopes that kills you. Um, Adam Nathan, of course, of this uh, parish as well, says that you must understand that Ben Foster is always the reference point when it comes to time-wasting. And fictional Ben said, remind Tim to never, and this is, the opposite to what Jack was saying, remind him to never, under any circumstances, express a strong opinion about uh, Pierre-Emile Hoiberg. Um, he is, I think, the one who the fullbacks tend to divide the opinion of Spurs fans um, game by game. But over the piece, philosophically, it is the efforts of Pierre-Emile Hoiberg who you'll find will occupy a lot of your time, Tim, particularly among supporters. Um, I feel like I'm, I'm learning a lot already, and this is too big a question, I'm surely to answer now. But I'm really keen to find out more about about the pain of of following Spurs and the pessimism. There's a lot, a lot, a lot of lot of pessimism ready made or already out there this week. And, and Danny, in your in your in your trailer for this wonderful yeah. podcast recently, you you were talking about the, is it the pleasure and and pain of of following Spurs. That that um, you know, looking forward um, to getting into that pain element. Yes, but I, th- I think that's this, this is a, a feeling shared by the stratification. We talk a lot about the stratification of football. And currently you've got um, three English clubs who win trophies by um, being brilliant, Manchester City, by um, being brilliant, Liverpool, and by default almost, Chelsea, um, because they've just got it into their DNA in recent times. You've got then a whole load of clubs who... Uh, are very happy to avoid relegation. And this is the Premier League I'm talking about. And then you've got the Spurses, the Arsenals, even Manchester United now, um, who spend their time dreaming of glory, um, but bashing their head off a variety of glass ceilings. Some of them imposed by financial stratification and some of them imposed by their own stupidity. Um, Changing managers too often, picking wrong managers um, and all the rest of it. Um, So... I, I don't. I don't. 
we've discussed this many times on the podcast. I don't feel this almost primordial urge for trophies because I've seen them win loads of cups. I've been to almost two dozen cup finals, if you count replays. Um, but of course, I want them for the younger Spurs fans. They need some Eccleshare-style validation of the time, effort, money and emotion they're putting into supporting one of, the, one of the richest clubs, let's be honest, in the world and seeing them not win a trophy since 2008. Not even a measly League Cup, 2008. Um, so I guess that's what that's what it's about. The fact that every now and then every club lucks into something. Um, mm. But Spurs, you told me before we started this, is it eight or nine FA Cup semi-finals they've now lost on the spin? James Moore seemed to think it was it was eight, but it was it was in, it was ingrained on his on his forehead. Yeah, it was his eight. I did also do a long read on that during the uh, COVID lockdown. Of course so you did. If you want more on those heartbreaks. Yeah. Well, it's all there. Well, you know, and uh, but again, it all depends on 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 your era. Um, just just think about this with the, with those FA Cup semi-finals in in mind. By the time Spurs won the FA Cup in nineteen ninety, I can't remember now exactly. Was it nineteen ninety one or nineteen eighty two? I can't remember which one of those FA Cup victories meant that Spurs had won more FA Cups than any other English team. Now, this has been overtaken by the Chelsea's, the Arsenal's of this world. It just rolled past them, winning, you know, sometimes winning two in 12 months, you know. Um, I think there's a, a frustration, small left frustration, Tim, at the back of all this, that Spurs fans, I think, know that they are, by the measures that people usually apply, a very big football club, a very big football club indeed. Look at the stadium, all the rest of it. Um, but the uh, the returns on the sheer amount of, as I say, emotional energy, financial input um, the fans have made have not been great over the last, um, let's be fair, decade and a half. But if I if I tell you what I think about Spurs, and you know, this word Spursy, it just means they've lost a football match. Every team, every club finds ways to lose football matches. Um, and it's not Chelsea-y or Manchester City-y. It's Spursy, apparently. And that, so I think that's the, that's the height of laziness. But... And people will be, Spurs fans will be bored with this quote and will think I'm a, a daydreaming old codger, actually. Um, Danny Blanchflower, when he was playing for Spurs and managing Chelsea, um, said this, particularly about Spurs. He said, and you'll, you'll have heard this quote before, but let me read it in full. It's only two sentences. The great fallacy is that the game is first and last about winning. It is nothing of the kind. The game is about glory. It is about doing things in style and with a flourish, about going out and beating the other lot, not waiting for them to die of boredom. Hello, Lisbon. Hello, the last three Spurs managers. That is my genuine, honest belief of what I may be in a minority, but I don't think I am. Most Spurs fans would prefer, prefer, Tim, for Spurs to set out to try and win a game with the risk of losing it 3-2. I think I'm right in saying Spurs have been involved in more seven or more goals in a game than any other team in the Premier League history, um, rather than going out and hoping to fluke a 1-0 win and defend the goal for, forever and ever. And here lies a, an issue, and I, I'd like to get your view on this, Tim, in that I think Spurs fans do want to see fancy football and really, really dynamic football trying to win the game at the risk of losing it. And yet the last three managers they've appointed, Mourinho, Nuno and Conte, are all risk-averse 1-0 merchants. And if if that's going to bring success and a, and, a, and a trophy or two then then maybe that's okay but if you've got if you've got neither then there therein lies the problem right 
Well, that's the, that's it. That's the key thing. Because I think, and I do think that's a bit harsh on Conte, Danny. Um, but but I also, we, we, we've never got to the point, because neither Nuno nor Jose were especially successful, we never really knew that. We ne- Because I'm, I, I'm not sure, you know, it, it, Chelsea, when they won the Premier League, say in 04, 05, and actually they, they had some some very entertaining wins you know, and you know robin duff um mm-hmm. oh that first quite the, the, the first title winning team was a brilliant football team let's, let's not yeah it was a brilliant football team but it also had a lot of pretty dreary 2-0 mm-hmm. wins which i think if you support the team you absolutely love but to watch um for everyone else was pretty boring i'm not sure how much fans would have minded if it meant they won the title or even if it meant they won a couple of cups. I mean, everyone's different, but I think part the big problem has been really that Mourinho's the results weren't great. I mean, it would have been very interesting if they'd won the yeah. league cup under him. How much would have been forgiven? I don't know. But that there there in Tim lies something else you're going to learn as well. There aren't many clubs in the world. Maybe Atletico Madrid under Jesus Hill twenty years ago who would sack the manager three days before the cup final. Yeah. Spurs is one of those, my friend. Of course well, it is. If, um, if Spurs do finally win a trophy this season, I've, I've got to say, from a, from a very selfish point of view, if it's only to be one trophy, I would very much like it to be the, the EFL Cup because the final is in is in February and uh, I'll still be covering the club at that time. But if it's, if it's the league, the Champions League or the FA Cup, then Charlie will have come back to take the glory away. It's an honor for me to, to address you, sports fans. I'm so happy to be here. And my promise to you, we're going to make you proud. We're going to make you proud. Tim, since we got you here, um, and it's a chance for you to, to say your piece here, um, Spurs had Nuno Espirito Santo as a manager for a few games. Um, when he was appointed, I was bewildered. Um, not that he's not a great bloke. He seems to be a lovely man. Um, and not that he can't organise a defensive football team, but I knew down to the the minutest protons of my DNA, if such things exist, I knew that that was not going to work out. Charlie will tell you that with all seriousness, I was calling for it to be sacked before he was sacked. Half time at the Arsenal game, it was so obvious that it was never going to work. Get the fella out of there. Um, but I think you, you should stand up for Nuno here because I know that he's a ledge among Wolves fans. Yeah, yeah, he is, but very, very different circumstances, very, very different clubs, um, very different sort of projects in inverted commas. I mean, I, I was I was surprised when they they appointed him, Danny. I was surprised he, he took the job, to be honest, soon as he was you know thirty fifth choice. Um, one of the reasons that Wolves sacked him actually was that his sort of defensive counter attacking style was thought to have a, a ceiling, you know, even at Wolves, let, let alone Spurs. Um, Wolves thought Wolves kind of thought they'd never win a trophy with, with that kind of style which I'm not sure I agree with but but they also thought they'd never break the top six ceiling with Nuno's style of football which I think is certainly fair enough um, I mean from, from from conversations I've had he was very cautious about taking the job and he, indeed at one point he, he wasn't going to take it but he was persuaded to undoubtedly by his by his agent George Mendes um, but the way it came about you know that so proper that summer he was going to find it very hard to earn the respect of that squad. And if you're going to earn that respect, you need the leaders in the dressing room on your side. And the leader of that dressing room seems to be Harry Kane, to me, very much so. And, you know, Charlie will correct me if I'm wrong, but he seemed hell-bent on, on leaving the club that summer at one point. Um, and his form when he came in, 
I think I think he scored one one Premier League goal before December, the start of that season. So he, you know he we, extended August till till Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you know I'm told Nuno regrets it despite despite the the money he earned you know from being sacked. Um, there were issues with him being given the sort of authority he needed and the conditions he needed to do that job properly. But at the end of the day, he failed to manage that dressing room, and that's that's his failing. You know, he 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 failed to to manage those sort of top players and some difficult personalities and things. I think things could have gone better for him if he was if he was given those conditions. But it was never it was never going to be a long term marriage, and and I, I feel sorry for him really because he's he's had his reputation um, stained. Uh, he's now out in Saudi Arabia, which I think is, is a complete waste of his of his time. Shredded, I think, by that. Yeah, um, really. I mean, if I mean, you'll remember, you'll remember Tim. Like, I remember chatting to you. When would it have been March 2020? And Wolves came and beat Spurs three two. And I remember he'd given an interview that day in some of the nationals, and you know he was really being celebrated at that time. Nuno as you know, the guy all the big clubs are going to want at some stage soon. Because at that point, Wolves were on their way to the Europa League quarterfinals. They were in the top six, or certainly pushing for the top six. They beat Spurs that day. And he, he felt like the coming man. And uh, yeah, obviously now he's he's off ma- managing in Saudi Arabia and has become a bit of a joke figure. Um, so... It's, it was a tough, tough few months for him at Spurs. Yeah, it's easy to forget, but you know, I, I, I was in there at the time, and his reputation, sort of a year before he left Wolves, was 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 so high. I mean, he's known for being a, a dour defensive manager in terms of his style of football, but you know, when Wolves sort of romped to the title, as it were, in the Championship, you know, they play some of the best football that that league's ever seen. You know, he's, he's certainly capable of setting a, te- a team up that way. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure there'll be little sort of sympathy, or as you mentioned, but I wonder, Danny Spurs fans. Tim, and I don't want to. I don't need to to to, to diss um, Nuno. There's no need for it. But I mean, let's be honest. Um, George Mendes had put together a, a team of international footballers in the Championship. I suspect even Jack Pitt Brook could have managed them uh, to the top of the table. I, I, I don't know, Danny. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd never really buy into that argument. I saw Sajake would spend more money than most most Premier League teams for more than a decade in the nineties, and Wolves had sucking on international his teeth. players everywhere. Know, and, that was the other and, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and got them absolutely nowhere. So no, I've, I've, yeah. But play, play, players who've worked under him do talk about his sort of genius and his man management. He just it was, but it was he never had a chance to show that at Spurs, and it was it was never going to work. Which takes us to the game at the weekend um, against Leicester, bottom of the table. Five defeats on the spin, um, apparently incapable of putting together a decent performance, Charlie. Exactly the sort of game that um, well, you would expect if you were still working. And maybe you are. We've got one more game in you. Uh, oh, yep. One more game, um, yeah. Exactly the sort of game that will end a 2-2 draw and Spurs fans are dreading. Well, here's another uh, trope for you, Tottenham trope for you, Tim. Dr. Tottenham. Um, the, the idea that an, an ailing huh? club or player... Will be revived by uh, okay, like a quick that. visitation by, by to Spurs. Yeah, a quick visit. There's a, a podcast in its name, um, so there will be a lot of fans who will be saying and thinking exactly that. That you know, Doctor Tottenham will see Leicester on the weekend and revive them into a good performance. It's possible because I think Leicester have been playing. They are not the worst team in the Premier League, um, despite what the table says. Uh, they've got some very, very good players. Tielemans, Madison, indeed, the midfield players they can bring to bear if they want to, you know. Yeah. Those alone. 
I, I think what will help Tottenham is what to- Tottenham's kryptonite is teams who sit deep, let them have the ball, leave no space in behind and say, you know, we'll try and counterattack that, chumps. Um, and Leicester aren't really that team. <laughs> Le- Leicester, I'm sure Rodgers will be aware that that's what he needs to do, but they don't really have the personnel or the mentality to do that. So in that respect, I, I think they might be quite a good opponent for Tottenham. Yeah, my guess is that Spurs, you know... <laughs> Given their first half performances, I say this with all the usual caveats, get out there, get a goal up against Leicester, remind them that they can't win football matches. It's like boxers who you know are susceptible to body punches. Don't attack their head. Get ahead of Leicester. They can hardly remember the last time they won a football match. Um, let, let, let that feeling become the thing that defeats them. Um, we'll see. Tim, I want to end the podcast with... Um, uh, you can give us a, a mission statement if you like. What are you looking forward to about working, um, r- reporting on Spurs? It's a change for you, of course, you know, from the from the Black Country to London. What are you looking forward to um, about following this? I'll say the words: great club, um, even if it means you have to be on this blinking podcast quite regularly. Uh, the, I mean, the, the the press food at the at Tottenham Stadium is, is magnificent Danny so that's got to, that's got to be number one um, no it's um, I'm already finding the dynamics fascinating actually you know coming coming from Wolves to Spurs and like, like I was kind of saying with the atmosphere in, 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 in the week um, and the expectations of of what this team can produce and covering Antonio Conte one of the one of the supposed you know great minds of, of the modern age of, of management and watching Harry Kane week in week out and seeing him come back to pick up the ball in between center halves I mean you know this is um this is what I'm looking forward to this I just feel like Spurs is one of the obviously one of the great football institutions and it's a club massively on the up there's this huge investment last summer this beautiful stadium this amazing training ground um a world-class manager world-class players you know Surely that equals success, right? And if not, why not? So there's there's an awful lot of, of sort of nuances to get into. Okay, well, I'm sure you'll I'm sure you'll enjoy it. We're certainly going to enjoy having you on the podcast, even if um, getting away from the ground is still one of the great human endurance tests. Uh, even after a 90 minutes pa- past the actual final whistle, um, and you'll tell us how you're getting on with all of that as well. Which brings us to the end of this podcast. Let me just remind you that in case you're not already an Athletic subscriber, remember that you can sign up uh, to read all of the uh, brilliant Spurs coverage, including that by Tim that's now going to be coming online, um, as well as everything else that's on the site. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod and sign up right now for just £1 a month for six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. Charlie? Um, I'd like to end this podcast by wishing you and Mrs. Eccleshare and the new arrival all the very, very, very best. Enjoy it um, and, uh, you know, let let the love fill your house and we'll look forward to seeing you back sometime after the World Cup. Thank you very much. Yeah, and maybe I'll do the odd uh, cameo because I'll miss yeah. you all too much. So uh, you may hear from me between now and then, but thank you very much. And I will miss doing this podcast a lot because it's such a joy. Thank you, Tim, for your first appearance. Looking forward to working with you over the months. And thank you all for listening. We'll be back on Monday when it is possible, of course, isn't it? Yes, the Spurs might be top of the Premier League and a very different kind of podcast might be poured into your ears. Bless you all. The Athletic.